0: Hello and welcome to Local Matters. I'm Caroline Moore, and today I'm chatting with CEO and Vice President at Home Caregivers and podcast host, Costa
1: Yepafonsiv.
0: Costa, thanks for coming in.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Costa, you're
1: used to interviewing people. <laughs> What's it like being on the other side? You know, I get more nervous being interviewed than actually hosting the podcast, um, but it's a skill that I guess I have to learn. So.
0: And you host two podcasts. Yeah,
1: yeah, two podcasts. You have
0: Better Together Mm -hmm. and Now or Never. Right, yeah. So what's Better Together? How did that all start? That was the first one.
1: Yeah, so Better Together was originally, and I think our audience may be like, huh, I don't know about that, but it originally started um, kind of with politics in mind, uh, and we wanted to bring some awareness to different voices within the community. Then I did an internship uh, and actually saw politics, how the sausage is made, so to speak. And I was like, oh, no, no, you know, I don't I don't want to do that. <laughs> nope. And so as we were evolving or the podcast was evolving, um, I started to realize that there was a lot of interesting people that maybe I just didn't give enough credit to the community with people that went through certain struggles, people that were trying to change industries, people that have had amazing amounts of success just here in the upper Cumberland. And so Morgan and I were like, well, listen, we've already got, you know, 40 episodes, right? Why don't we make this a complete and sole community podcast? Uh, and continue to highlight different voices within the community and whatever happens, happens. And so, um, you know, you hear a lot of people say that uh, the best things evolve organically uh, and better together has definitely been one of those types of things. And so we're excited to see uh, what the future holds. Honestly, I keep asking her, like, are we going to run out of people to interview? And every time we have that conversation, we come up with new ideas Um I'm hoping that we can incorporate maybe some group segments, some themed segments around holidays and things like that. So, yeah.
0: When you're searching for a guest on your podcast, what kind of person are you looking for? Who is your ideal guest?
1: I personally, uh, granted, Morgan does all of like the, the finding and the preparation and stuff like that, the qualifying, I guess you could say. My initial kind of meet and greet when they come in to record the podcast. And I've done some preliminary research on, you know, what they did and, you know, essentially who they are, right? So I could have kind of a foundation to talk to them from. But ultimately, I just want people to be open-minded and comfortable and um, not like uncomfortably vulnerable, but vulnerable to the point to where they can share their story. And I think, honestly, that was probably the hardest thing... um, to create was a place where people could be vulnerable and transparent, but that's the those are the best episodes. They're the ones where they're not guarded and there's no agenda. They didn't come in with like a a huge you know a, a trove of documents. You know, like they're uh, they're pulling stuff out of Mar-a-Lago, you know, and bringing it to my <laughs> office. <laughs> so yeah, yeah.
0: Has anyone ever <laughs> surprised you?
1: I would say the episode with. John Rust not so much surprised me but it pulled a lot of emotion out of me i was i actually you know what when i talked to cg um and her knack for running a business um i did not ex- i expected her to be very like outgoing and have a fluid conversation but i didn't expect her to run all aspects of her business and really sort of Emulate in a lot of ways kind of how I run my business And so when I look at when I when I was talking to CG early on in the podcast It was really refreshing to be like, oh, okay So this isn't going to be just like a conversation of people's passions, but also there could be like some technical Aspects to the conversation
0: Do you think it's easier for people to be vulnerable when there aren't cameras when you're just talking with some microphones?
1: Yeah, most deaf. Yeah. Yeah, I I think when Tiffany explained her Uh, podcasts and how when she switched to video um, powered by her, uh, it became a lot more difficult to kind of get guests and also schedule because uh, things are a lot more serious when there's cameras involved. With our second podcast, Now or Never, we do a video and an audio podcast. And I'll tell you, um, sometimes it's hard to make captivating content or pay attention to what the guest is saying. Um, Because you can't just be like, you know, as people are talking, you can't just be like looking down at your notes and like looking up at them. You have to really have a direct eye contact and and that type of conversation. That's a different skill that I haven't quite mastered yet. But I, I will say that people that are on TV, that are interviewing like on CNN and Uh, Fox News, MSNBC, like those types of stations, they are pros, super jelly.
0: It is such an art. (laughs) Even when they go to commercial (laughs) so flawlessly and cut somebody off, essentially, it is so impressive. It is. And on top of that, when you're doing video, you can likely see yourself if you're on Zoom and that is just alarming.
1: Oh, it is. Absolutely. <laughs> it's
0: distracting, not even in a narcissistic way, but you think, that's what I
1: look like right now. Yeah.
0: No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, Morgan, she puts up like lights and stuff like that. And so we do it in this, uh, in the uh, dining room of my house and every single time we record, it's a, it's a, it's different lighting. <laughs> yeah, every, every video looks different, um, <laughs> you know, cause we don't have like a studio per se. So. Uh, but I mean, it's getting better. it's improving. We're only on our eighth episode with now or never uh, it's a long term care specific podcast. you know we focus on bringing awareness uh to the long term care industry um and advocating but you know i'll I'll be honest um a lot of people say that advocating and bringing awareness to an issue is not as impactful as just solving the issue. Uh, and so as we have these discussions, we're constantly trying to just like implement solutions while we're talking. like. Instead of just saying like, yeah, you know, there's just not enough money for, the long- for people that are trying to seek uh, long-term care services or, uh, you know, there's not enough resources or whatever it is. Uh, instead of just people getting hammered by all kind of like the negativity and the problems, we're like, all right, well, this is how we can solve this and this is how we can solve this. And so whether it's nursing facilities or assisted living or, you know, in-home care, um, whether it's trusts or it's a lot of it, there's a lot of technical information in there, but I think it's helpful
0: so much in the business of long-term care along with what it's just like to be elderly sure it's constantly changing right
1: oh absolutely and and i'll even take it a step further so in our small town of cookville right there are 7 agencies that just provide services in someone's home so like they send a caregiver out to take care of somebody a few hours a day 7 for a population of essentially, I mean, what, 75 80,000? And so they serve... Now, granted, they do service the upper Cumberland, um, not including Cumberland County, but just to imagine the need for people to receive those types of services. And if you consider how our society has changed from like, say, you know, the 1940s, 30s, and, you know, when, when we would... When somebody, like an elderly... Uh, grandparent or someone um, gets old, they typically moved in with you. Right. And so during the 60s and 70s, especially the 80s with deinstitutionalization, um, well, I'm sorry, institutionalization, they went into a nursing facility as opposed to aging at in your own home. Then with deinstitutionalization, they have this community living component. And so not to get too far in the weeds, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is the need is is, is 100% going to be there in somebody's life. And so the demand is so high. And so this is an industry that is growing by you know double-digit percentage points every single year, uh, and it's not slowing down.
0: You're the CEO of Home Caregivers. What does your business do?
1: We do a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're we're very diversified in terms of how we provide services. So, you know, we'll go into someone's home and provide a few hours a day of care uh, into their personal home. And similar to you know companies like Home Instead and Silver Angels, things like that. But at the same time, we also provide residential care, which if you can consider the care process in three steps, step one is like you live in your own home and you receive intermittent care a few hours a day. Um, step three is you need access to 24-hour medical care in a nursing facility. So you have like nurses and doctors around you because you have like a really – Um, serious medical condition. But nobody really thought of like a step two, right? So how can you still remain connected to your community, living in your community, but still receiving that wraparound care um, so that you can be safe and live independently? Works great for people that, you know, elope. Uh, Elope is a technical term in the medical industry for running away. So people that, um, elope from their home because they have Alzheimer's, uh, or get lost, um, those types of cognitive disabilities, like they don't need to be in a nursing home. Or if somebody just can't afford to live in the community anymore because it's so freaking expensive and they're on a fixed income, you'd be astounded how many people live in a nursing facility because Medicaid pays for their residency there, um, like 10 care pays because they can't afford to move out into the community. So our residential program does two specific things. It provides 24-hour care for people with disabilities in a home. There's 23 of them for the elderly. There's 14 for the intellectually and developmentally disabled. um, And they're spread out all across Cookville and Jamestown. It's affordable because three people live in the home and they split the rent, they split the bills and they can remain connected to the to essentially where they grew up, you know, to the people that they know. And it's not like a it's not it's not like a warehouse for old people like most nursing homes are. And and I hate to always throw nursing homes under the bus, but, <laughs> you know, they just got to figure it out at some point. Anyway, so that's the residential models that we have, uh, the services that we provide. Um, We build wheelchair ramps and showers all across the state so people can um, age uh, safely in their own homes. Um, so we like modify things, uh, provide assistive technologies, you know, grabbers, um, shower chairs, wheelchairs, stuff like that. And we also, like I was saying earlier, service to uh, two different populations. So we service the elderly and the physically disabled. And then we also service the intellectually and developmentally disabled. So that's in a nutshell what we do.
0: <laughs> More with Costa Offensive after the break. Hello and welcome back to Local Matters. I'm Caroline Moore, and today I am chatting with CEO and Vice President at Home Caregivers and local podcast host, Costa, you are so involved in our community, Mm -hmm. but you're not from here.
1: No, no, I'm not.
0: In fact, you're a Russian native.
1: I am. So I was born in a town called Rostov-on-Don, Russia, uh, which is the southwest part of Russia, and it's about 200 miles from the Ukrainian border. I was born in 1989 and my parents and I moved to the United States in uh, 1994 when I was five years old uh, with the help of the Jewish Community Centers of America. And so the backstory not to get too far into the weeds, my my mom's parents moved here first in 1992. My grandfather is 100 percent Jewish. His name is Victor Shanker, so (laughs) as you can guess, Uh, and during the fall of the Soviet Union, there was a big push by Jewish community centers in the United States, specifically in Atlanta, San Francisco, and New York, to try to get uh, refugees, essentially, that were facing anti-Semitism, anti-Semitic hate for the fall of the Soviet Union uh, to move to the U.S. or to Israel. He was one of the l- lucky beneficiaries, uh, and he was actually like pretty high up in Russian, not really government, but education. And so it was a little bit dicey for him to go through the process, uh, but he got out and luckily within two years, we got out and then my parents, my dad's parents and his brother were able to come in 1997. So anyway, so we all moved to Atlanta. We grew up um, as immigrants. I learned English in six months and I'm not saying that to brag, I'm saying that because prior to learning English, they spoke to me in like broken Russian with like a country slang. So like I have a country slang too, but it's not very good. And so imagine like not knowing English, speaking Russian with the country slang, right? <laughs> so, uh, so long story short, learned English, um, Started making friends. I mean, I lived in inner in metro Atlanta, you know, so pretty much everybody in our class uh, was was a minority or, you know, an immigrant. And I didn't really see a lot of diversity in Russia. And in Atlanta, there's a lot of diversity. Mm -hmm. And so it took me a little while um, to kind of get used to this new dynamic on top of being an immigrant. Uh, And then in 1998, we moved to Woodstock. It's a suburb of Atlanta. My parents got divorced. That was just extremely traumatic for me. Um, I was like 10. You know, you move here as an immigrant to a new country and you only have your parents around you. And so when they split, I went to live with my dad. He got a job working at Microsoft as a computer programmer. And the way that I cope with that trauma was I completely threw away all my uh, Russian identification. I just said, I'm not going to tell anybody I'm from a different country. I'm going to try to completely immerse myself into... American society, American ideology, learn everything that I can about America. And I changed my name to Joey.
0: <laughs> and how long did that last? Because you're Costa to me. I know,
1: I know. Uh, let's see, that was sixth grade till my junior year of high school. So, yeah, so I I completely embraced like kind of the American um, way of life uh, and, and and still do. I uh, played hockey growing up, so I moved around, lived with host families, um, moved away from home when I was uh, about a, uh, about 15 years old. Um, lived in Brentwood with a host family, went to Brentwood High, played for a team here in Nashville, and then I lived in uh, Oklahoma and in Tulsa, and then I lived in Dallas, Texas. So I uh, went through the whole high school experience uh, with kind of the host family thing. My dad, uh, was one of the, you know, he's just a strict like Russian, you know, immigrant, um, very similar story to most immigrants. You know, you got this great opportunity. Don't mess it up, work hard, try to be the best. Um, don't quit, you know? And I just really didn't like playing hockey to be totally honest with you, but he did. (laughs) Meaning, my dad, and or he liked the idea of me playing it, and so when I stopped, I was nineteen, about to turn twenty, and I didn't have a high school diploma, and I got a GED. I was working at Radio Shack at Cool Springs Mall, and I just I just started to hustle and flow. You know, I was like, I have to build a career. I have to salvage a life out of you know what what I thought was going to be. A professional hockey career, and so I just started taking like every single job that I could. I would like spread mulch, wash dogs, build those little like round um, funnel things that you saw at the malls where you throw like a quarter and they'd roll down and yes. drop in the middle. Yeah, I haven't yeah. thought about those in a very long time. <laughs> right, right. I just, I just had to do. I had to keep moving forward, and so I met a guy. Uh, who knew a guy who knew the sales manager at a Land Rover dealership. And so I was 19, GD, and I remember I walked into the interview and they were like, absolutely not. there was only six salespeople. It's obviously a high-end dealership. I have no sales experience aside from selling batteries and cell phones at Radio Shack. And so um, I just came back there every day for like three weeks. uh, And I just kept telling them like, hey, you got to just give me a chance. You don't even have to pay me. I just need a chance. Give me a quota. Let me see if I can achieve your meet your expectations. And they gave me a chance. And in the car business, there's something called a draw. Uh, and so I hit my draw uh, every single month, uh, and exceeded it. Um, and while I was at Land Rover, I was there for five years, met my wife, Jessica. She was in Nashville. We met running, uh, living, we lived in the same apartment complex and I, yeah, I, after I met Jessica, we, um, ended up working for her father. Uh, at Home Caregivers, which he started in 2002, uh, moved to Cookville in 2012, started working with him, uh, and then we bought the business in 2015. <laughs> That's the long-winded story. I'm Caroline
0: Moore, and today I am chatting with CEO and Vice President at Home Caregivers and local podcast host, Costa Yip Afonsov. Isn't it funny how things in your life just kind of worked out?
1: right? It is. It's It's extremely serendipitous how everything in life seems to work out. It's almost like we live in a simulation. <laughs> oh,
0: every day. <laughs> I'm more just convinced this is all a simulation. I'm somebody's sim. I know, right?
1: <laughs> you know, when I, when I was telling the story about meeting Jessica, um, you want to talk about serendipitous. I was running on the greenway and she stopped me and said, hey... And I said, Hey, well, at the time I was dating a, another girl, uh, and we were living together. And so I walked with her, but, you know, because I was dating somebody else, you know, I didn't ask for her number and we, and there was like a split in the, in the apartment complex. I had to go left. She had to go right. Uh, and so we just kind of parted and went our separate ways. Um, and she was kind of bummed cause she was like, well, and she tells me a story later. Uh, she said, you know, I was kind of bummed that you didn't ask for my number or anything like that. Um, and so a few weeks later, like a few a, a few weeks to a, to a month and a half later, uh, that girl and I had broken up, and um, <laughs> and I was working out at the YMCA in Donaldson because uh, we were living in Hermitage, and I bumped into Jessica again, but I couldn't remember her name, and I said, "Hey, Rebecca," <laughs> but I was kind of close, yeah, you know? <laughs> and. Uh, And she goes, oh, no, no, it's Jessica. Well, I had some tickets to a a Nashville Predators game uh, that I got from work and I was looking for somebody to go with and I was like, hey, do you want to, you know, come with me to this game? And she said, well, you know, sure, you know, why not? Never been to a game. It sounds like fun. Uh, So we went to the game and yeah, the rest is history. So we've got four kids and yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a fairy tale.
0: More with Costa Yepifonsif and his fairy tale life right after the break. Hello and welcome back to Local Matters. I'm Caroline Moore and today I am chatting with CEO and Vice President at Home Caregivers and podcast host, Costa Yepifonsif. Hello. Costa, do you think you have the typical immigrant experience or the classic, I guess? I don't know if there really is a typical, but.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd say. A (laughs) hundred percent. (laughs) Yes. So, you know, like I was saying earlier, my dad really didn't leave much for interpretation. So there wasn't any like, um, like the way that we're raising our kids now, they're just so happy. (laughs) And, you know, and it's not, it's not to say that I necessarily wasn't happy. I had my moments, um, but there was a level of intentionality, Uh, growing up with my father, which is probably why I moved away at 15 because I was like, this is so much easier than living at home. You know, he's just, he came here, my my mom and and him, my mom was 26. My dad was 28. Both of them were chemists. My mom, you know, you got to consider. So they're, they're both chemists. They really don't speak the language. My mom goes to Georgia State, and she gets a master's degree in chemistry. She would record the class, the teacher, the professor speaking, because she didn't know what was going on. She would record the class. She would come home and she would rewatch the videos and take mm. notes um, in Russian. Uh, so, you know, my dad worked three jobs. He worked as a chemist. He worked as a pizza driver. And then he'd wake up in the morning and he'd deliver newspapers. He then, while working three jobs, decided to take an online class and learn how to be a computer programmer in a, in a computer language called Visual Basic. You know, you think like sometimes I get down and I'm like, man, this is so freaking hard. Like life is so hard, right? But I know how to speak English, you know, even with like a country accent. Do I have a country accent?
0: To me, no, but I'm from here, so I don't... <laughs>
1: okay, I'll try to put it on. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I know how to speak English. Like, I understand the culture. I I just, I've, I grew up here. Uh, everything is is in my favor. Like, no, no chips are stacked against me, right? And so life just doesn't seem as difficult. Uh, and I think that's what my dad was trying to prepare me for or explain to me. He just had a really strange way of doing <laughs> it. So, but yeah, I had the typical immigrant experience. Do you think your parents are proud of you? I, I, yeah, yeah, they are. Yes. Good. Yes, they are.
0: <laughs> and right now, you're studying for a political science
1: degree, yeah, right? I, I am. So I graduate in uh, on December 9th. Uh, with my bachelors so g d to bachelor's bro right and business owner you're <laughs> <know. the> <laughs> you 're also the c e o of a yes, business you 're very
0: impressive you <laughs> have several you. jobs just like your parents
1: <laughs> i know it 's weird <laughs> it 's weird I never intended that to be the case, but i just can't uh, i can 't seem to just sit down and relax i uh, you know uh, what are you going to do it 's just going to be uh, i originally I was like, well. Maybe I can find some peace in my life, but I just, I don't ever think I will because there's just, there's just so much to do and the doors, all the doors are open, you know, there's no, there's no closed doors. And so why not take advantage of it while, you know, you only get one life. So why not take advantage of it while you can? The political science degree, um, like I was kind of explaining a little bit earlier, politics was, was big for me going through the 2016 election um seeing how things were changing in my industry in 2016 to 2018 um, but also seeing kind of this there was always kind of this rise in, in income inequality but it just became so much more pervasive um after 2016. And I still saw the same exact people struggling that were struggling before. And I thought, well, this just doesn't make sense, right? So, I mean, how do you constantly, fee- how do you, how are you constantly put in a position where the chips are stacked against you? And so I started to do, I started to read some books, you know, watch some documentaries, more documentaries than books, I have to be honest.
0: <laughs> They're easier to absorb. I know, they really are. They really
1: are. <laughs> uh, and... I decided that I was going to go back to school uh, in 2020, in the spring of 2020, and uh, and finish my degree. I went to Alabama, the University of Alabama, online when I was at Land Rover um, for about three years and got a business just working on a business administration degree, but that wasn't exciting for me. I just knew that I had to have a bachelor's. And uh, when I was growing up, my dad's dad, who was really important to me in my life, he passed away in 2010. Uh, there's an old saying in Russia that without a piece of paper, you are a bug. With a piece of paper, you are a human.
0: Interesting phrasing. <laughs> I'm sure it sounds better in Russian.
1: So, yeah, he would say it a lot to me. And so he really he he was a doctor, a pediatrician in Russia, he really emphasized school And anyway,
0: I'm Caroline Moore, and today I am chatting with CEO and vice president at Home Caregivers and local podcast host, Costa Yip Costa, what made you want to study political
1: science? The political science degree, I wanted to learn more about why things are the way that they are, who gets what and why, right? That's Mm -hmm. essentially the definition of of, um, political science and i realized over my journey um that it's it's a much more complicated process uh, than than people expect and it's not just like getting elected and it's like boom you can accomplish your goals but i am a ones and zeros kind of guy you know in a, in our business we have an input, and we have an output. We have an income, we have an expense, we have you know performance that people meet or don't meet. There's no gray area, right? In politics, it's all gray area. And I was like, I don't know how to measure my performance. And more importantly, this is the thing that really kind of like hit me right in the chest, kind of pulled my heart out when I realized like I can't do this. When I tell somebody that I'm going to do something, When I it's it's a promise. Like if I say like, Caroline, I'll come on Saturday and cut your grass. I'll be there on Saturday cutting your grass. I I don't I don't break those types of promises, even if it's something that I was like set on a whim. I'm like, oh, I can't believe I said yes to that or I can't believe I'm going to go do that. But I still do it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And when you're running for office and you're promising something is going to happen and then it doesn't. You can't, in my opinion, you can't come back from that. And I just didn't want to be that guy that made these promises and work just day and night trying to accomplish them. And they'd be completely outside of my control. And then I'd have to go back and say, sorry, guys, I tried. Mm -hmm. But let me let me give you a bunch of excuses that you really don't want to hear. And so I just realized that, you know, politics, um, it's. It's not for me. It's for some people, but it's not for me. But the degree is important cuz you know, bachelor's and you know. Well,
0: not? everything's political. So right. even if you're not a politician, politics will affect you. It's always good to know what's going on and understand the mechanics. Yeah.
1: And our business is funded primarily by um 10 care. So, you know, obviously most people can't afford to pay out of pocket for care, and so 10 care Medicaid is really the only true payer. Uh, and that's a government thats a government um, entitlement program. And so to know, like you just said, why they make the decisions that they do, who are the lobbyists from these insurance companies that talk to these representatives, who runs the health committee and the health subcommittee and the insurance subcommittee, how that process works um, is really important because I'll tell you this, before 2010, when Phil Bredesen was governor... We didn't have the the Medicaid model that we have today. We didn't have managed care. We were just a state that had care, and care would provide all of the long-term care services, kind of like our current hospital situation right now. We have a hospital that's locally owned by the city. TenCare Medicaid, was locally owned and ran by Tennesseans. Now we don't have that. Now we have three insurance companies that run medicaid and it's a much different process than it was before so
0: from all your experience Mm -hmm. all your jobs all your interviews what have you learned about yourself
1: (sighs) man that is a good (laughs) question yeah about myself i you know i learned that there that there are really good people in this world and it's okay to to open the door to them and if they're willing to be vulnerable or even if they're not you you can be vulnerable and tell your story you know i think a lot of times people get scared about sounding you know braggadocious you know like they know everything but from running this podcast and um working at home caregivers and and managing uh, these individuals building this company Uh, I realized that really all people want is communication uh, and they want to feel valued uh, and they want to walk into a room and know that they can tell you anything, whether you're their employer or you're their friend uh, or you're some guy that they meet for the first time wearing, you know, a hot pink polo uh, (laughs) and some loafers and they're like, This dude's strange, (laughs) but I'm going to go with it. Um, They just they just want they just want somebody to to tell them it's going to be okay. And I guess I guess over the overarching theme uh, that I that I keep coming back to is the world is a good place and we need to give it a little bit more credit that it's good. That
0: is a beautiful answer. And you're giving me a lot of hope. Thank you. I needed that. Costa slash Joey, remind <laughs> the people where they can find your
1: podcast. Absolutely. So, uh, Better Together is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much anywhere that you listen to your favorite podcasts, and it comes out every Monday. Um, I think we're on our uh, almost on our 80th episode or our 82nd episode, right around there. Um, so we're almost to a hundred. And our Now or Never podcast is on YouTube. Uh, I have a YouTube channel, Costa Uh Like and subscribe, please. And it comes out every Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, wherever you get your local favorite podcasts.
0: You heard him. Like and subscribe. Thank you, Costa, for joining us. I'm Caroline Moore for Local Matters.